Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. On occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. Kerry couldn't go as All-Ireland champions playing, you know, out-and-out blanket defence against Mayo in the backyard. You know, that, that, that would have been very anti-Kerry. They had to play on the front foot and go, go with a bit of confidence. But they just met a team in Mayo on Saturday who were just better than them and better than them and faster than them on the day. And that would give, you know, Jack O'Connor a lot of food for thought. The All-Ireland Round-Robin series is up and running and it kicked off with a bang on Saturday with Mayo handling Kerry a shock defeat in Killarney. It's the All-Ireland Champions' first home championship defeat since 1995 and served as another reminder that this is one of the most open Sam Maguire races we've ever had. Welcome to the Throw on Football Show. Will Slattery here with Dick Clerken and Colin Keyes to discuss all the weekend's action. And Dick, it's, it might be a little premature to say that Saturday's result in Killarney gives the new format you know, a shot in the arm considering it was day one, but... A lot of people did have questions about maybe the level of jeopardy, considering only four teams w- will be eliminated after these 24 group matches. But even by Kerry losing the champions, the favourites, and, and now being put on this kind of long route to potentially winning another title, it just maybe sharpens the focus a bit for some of the other matches and for some of the other bigger teams that a loss can still be very inconvenient if you don't get your you know kind of stuff right. Now that teams have moved past the provincial stage and the sort of the new, especially the likes of Kerry, who, who probably weren't, were never going to get much out of the province, what they want now is form. Like even in the last couple of weeks, the weather's improved, the ground's hardening, it's proper championship season, and you're now looking at a sort of a, a, a pathway to the All Ireland series and knockouts. And you want form. You want your. You, there's no more excuses about a sort of a soft provincial championship and undercooked all this sort of stuff. Give it long enough to have your your training up to speed, and I, I'd say on that basis, Jack O'Connor would be a bit concerned because he probably would have felt that they were in better fettle than they definitely showed against Mayo, and maybe that's probably been unfair to Mayo, who have looked very good all year. The game against Roscommon, because of the conditions and the nature of it, maybe it was a bit of a, a an exception as opposed to the norm. Because Mayo really have been at at a, at a good pitch all year, and again they brought that to, to Killarney on Saturday. So so Mayo are back up to where we we, we thought they were, and 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 the Roscommon was a bit of a blip. Kerry now there's a bit of a question mark, but maybe they just met a team that are just a wee bit further down the tracks in terms of physicality, conditioning, and the style of play that Mayo played. Very very nice to watch. Very, very easy on the eye in terms of the way they sort of kicked the ball, used the full dimensions of the pitch, something that was very, you'd almost say, Kerry-esque. And then not being able to sort of match that would probably be a bit of a concern for Kerry. So, as I say, Kevin McStay, like he's done all year, that's another feather in the cap for him, and they'll, they'll click on to the next game full of confidence. Yeah, Colin, like from, from how the game unfolded on Saturday, how significant do you think the team's run-ins were? Like, so Mayo obviously hadn't played since the start of April. They've been able to work on things behind closed doors or, you know, both in training and challenge games. Kerry had some very one-sided provincial contests and obviously were still training away as well, but two different routes. How significant do you think that kind of was and how the game played out? 
I think the first thing, it was very, very di difficult for Mayo to bounce out of Crow Park after winning the league, a national title. It's not something, you know, historically Mayo have won quite a few leagues, but it's not something for them to just dismiss and park. There had to be a little bit of euphoria of just closing off that part of the season. And by the time you get, and this is a point Kevin McStay made last, last, last week when he addressed the local media, by the time you get back up to Mayo, you know, you've, you've, you've the travel involved, the overnight, the overnight in, in, in Dublin, everything around that. And suddenly the Roscommon game is on top of you. And they've had a couple of weeks sit this out and watch what's going on. So there was a little bit of an ambush there in that Roscommon game. But I always felt, given the nature of the draw that Mayo had in Connacht, having to play Roscommon and then if they had won that Galway, and a Connacht final against Sligo. It was always going to be difficult to win the league, win Connacht, and pursue those All-Ireland ambitions, which are the biggest thing for Mayo. Let's face it, winning a Nestor Cup, a Connacht title, is not going to be the biggest deal this year. So they took a pause, and they took two weeks off, and then they steadily rebuilt. And you could see it in some of their some of their more athletic players, and I'll name them, Matthew Ruan, Dermot O'Connor, Jordan Flynn. There's three players that were were really at it in the early stages of the league. And if you remember the, the Kerry and Tyrone games that they played at home on successive or close to successive Saturday nights in the middle of the league, and they were really in top form in those two games. And there was a little bit of a dip after that. And those three players in particular, and they're very athletic around that middle third for uh, bringing a lot of energy and a, a lot of legs to Mayo's play. And that's really a lot of what it's predicated on is how, how Mayo have played not just under this management, but even more so in the past. There's a good bit more kicking, I have to say, in the Mayo team uh, this year. Uh, an ambition to, to kick the ball a little bit longer, mix it up more. But that high-energy game is still there, and it's reflected to, to, through those three players. And I felt, by and large, they were back last, last Saturday. And I thought Ruan especially brought energy. So I think, all told, the six-week break... Uh, of all the teams it was going to suit, it was going to suit Mayo because they are such a high-octane team. Now, obviously, Derry have played three games and they've come through the Ulster, uh, you know, a pretty tough Ulster championship. They had to play Monaghan in the semi-final and go to extra time. So so maybe the the opposite of what I'm saying will be, will be disproved. Maybe Derry will disprove what I'm trying to say about the break. But I do think, given the schedule and the nature of everything, it's going to be difficult to win every competition. And I think Mayo have benefited. They've put themselves now on a very steady path that will give them two-week breaks between all their games if they continue to win and they top the group. There's a schedule there now from now to the end of July. If they keep winning, it's two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. They won't, if they win the group, obviously, they won't be in that second and third place playoff which would mean playing three weeks in a row, which is high attrition, really puts a stress on, on squads. So they have the schedule. So the benefit of winning that game is obvious for their long-term ambitions. And I all, always felt of all teams it was going to benefit them. And I think it has. Yeah, and the flip side now is true for Kerry. They have to potentially play three weeks in a row if they keep, you know, winning their remaining group games, and then they'll be playing a group winner in the quarterfinals, which you know you presume would be one of the big guns in the competition, which is quite early in the championship for maybe Kerry to be playing one of those traditionally. Dick, you know, you mentioned Mayo's style, how easy on the eye it was on Saturday. 
think a lot of people were surprised with how open Kerry were because their defensive solidity has been the hallmark of, you know, the second or the third tenure of Jack O'Connor with Paddy Talley there as well. They, I think, only conceded one championship goal last year. And Mayo only did score one goal of the weekend, but it could have been two or three if it wasn't for Shane Ryan in goal. Did that surprise you? Probably does. And you see, you probably find a lot of teams now when it, when, and I was just noticed a few times in the tackle and, and the Mayo players, you know, like James Carr, that it was a bit of old school. I'm just going to take my man on here. If you look at an awful lot of games, especially up here, when the forward gets the ball, you know, the, the instinct is to turn left or back. And and that, that becomes a very comfortable place for a defender to be, not knowing that someone's going to come at you and you can just sort of mark space. And, you know, Mayo just turned up in Killarney and it was just, by and large, a lot of the scores in the highlights, you just seen them, seen them taking that. And, and, and defenders have got, don't get an awful lot of experience of that. You know, the, it, it, unless they're doing it in the training ground, a lot of the games that they play, they don't they don't encounter that. So it can be very difficult for, for defenders to just quickly switch on. It's right, God, I have a man coming at me one-on-one. I haven't experienced it. Usually it's just, you know, you're scanning out in front of you, you're getting men behind, and you've got time to, to get the bodies behind. You know, a lot of Mayo's attacks there, Kerry just hadn't time to get back. They were so quick off the foot. And and as Colin referenced, the, the athleticism of the Mayo players, you know, when they got that yard in front, Kerry just couldn't get them back and very few players in the country are going to get them back because they're they're on the top of the ground they're fit they're athletic you know McLaughlin's goal was a, a key point in case you know he just got that yard in front and there was nobody going to catch him so that just bit of positivity front foot football that Mayo played to be honest with you there's very few teams at the minute would be conditioned enough to play with that you know and 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 you know Kerry just certainly weren't able to counter it now the only thing is they're forewarned now you know, and, and this is sort of the, the, the pros and cons of the new system. If that had been old school championship football or, or a, quarter, a quarter final after Kerry gone, good chance you're going to see these teams maybe in the last floor and that there's, there's a good chance they could encounter each other again. And, and Mayo, you know, their, their card will be marked. And, and it's probably no surprise if you think Mayo's best games, and Mayo generally have tried to play this type of football over the years, and that's why they've been so enjoyable to watch. And it's no surprise that their best performances were against against Dublin who who are another team give you space to play they, they play up the pitch they give space in behind and if you want to have a cut at them they let you do it and, and Mayo do that and Kerry Kerry and in fairness Kerry couldn't go as All-Ireland champions playing you know out and out blanket defence against Mayo in the backyard you know that 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 would have been very anti-Kerry they had to play on the front foot and go go with a bit of confidence but they just met a team in Mayo on Saturday it was just better than them and fitter than them and faster than them on the day and that'll give you know Jack O'Connor a lot of food for thought Colin Kerry still the All-Ireland favourites for you have they lost that mantle now that not only losing you know to Mayo but also go, having to go down that longer more difficult route to to potentially win it they're certainly wounded Will um, and I feel all year Kerry even during the league haven't been bringing very much new from last year and really you, know, you look at Dublin during their their six in a row run apart from maybe the last year they were always bringing something new to it whether it was a different style or an adjustment through the addition of a player like Conor Callaghan one year was Brian Howard there was always something something new with them coming I haven't seen that with Kerry in the league and I didn't see it uh, last Saturday uh, you'd be very concerned uh, or for their around midfield for for what Kerry used to have there in David Moore and, and it's only you'll always 
you'll always uh, yearn a player's departure when he's gone. But David Moran offered just a stability. And it was it was like if you equate it to rugby, it's like a throw to the front of the line out. You always knew, well, get it out to David Moran and there's a pretty good chance he'll hold it. He'll get it, he'll hold it and he'll use it and he'll give them go forward ball. They don't have Stefan Kunbar, obviously. He could have brought something, something new, that defensive, that defensive uh midfield presence that he was given. He took up Breen O'Neill in that league match during the uh in, in, in the league uh back in the spring, and he did really well in them. I just don't feel the thrust is there for the Kerry midfield. And that's why I think as much as anything, they were beaten hands down there. I haven't seen a Kerry midfield beaten as badly. And that's not just the two guys who wear eight and nine. I think it's a collective thing right across. I didn't see a lot of ball-winning power in the half-forward line as well to augment them in any way. It's not there. And that's a difficulty for them. They're going to come up against some pretty strong midfields. Obviously, Ruan, that axis, Ruan and... uh, uh, Ruan and Jordan Flynn, Dermot O'Connor, and the other player that's been a, a real uh, advance for Mayo is Jack Carney, and he's gives a lot of support in that area. I don't see Kerry having that, and I think it's an area of dif- difficulty for them, and that's why I think their their defence was as stretch as anything because they were under so much pressure. And I don't think Tyg Morley he made a good start, he got some blocks in, but I don't think Tyg Morley is offering that. That same cover and presence that uh, that he did last year, either. Now that will that that will come, and Kerry will improve on the back of that. And I think they'll they'll obviously win. I think they'll win their remaining two games, even though they have to they have to go to Cork. I think they'll win their remaining two games, and they will improve. But you know they can't turn around and say, "Well, David Clifford was a bit off. He delivered one of his great performances last Saturday, and yet they were so far off." So it has to be a real concern for them. But I think their issues. Uh, are around how they're not controlling the middle against the better teams. And obviously that's obvious during the league, but also obvious last Saturday. But also they're not really bringing anything new through, whether it's new ideas or new players. So all around a concern for Kerry. As you mentioned, a trip to Cork is their next game and they'll be big favourites, but it's set up to be a great atmosphere. If nothing else, Cork would love to potentially eliminate Kerry or certainly push them down an even more difficult path. Um, I think obviously there was two kind of blockbuster games on Saturday. Galway, Tyrone as well didn't hit the same heights. I know the conditions were, were were pretty poor there. Galway getting out on the right side of the result, you know, putting them on that kind of more straightforward path potentially if they can keep winning. What did you take from that game? I think I've mentioned it before. If I, if I had to pick a team, and I did a couple of months ago, that I, I saw as, as as a wee bit out in front of everyone was Galway and Again, Saturday evening was one of those sort of sticky, it was a wet day. You'd have thought Tyrone were coming down, you know, hurting from the Monaghan defeat. Like they're badly needing something to, to get their, not their season kicked off, but, but the last couple of years. And Galway just were just that bit better, bit bit stronger, we bit more to offer. And obviously Tyrone's indiscipline cost them, but I would have felt that was a game to Galway just very obvious almost professionally just just done what they had to do. I think they've got, you know, a very strong panel. You see Killian McDade coming back in now, kicking points. Comer, they're not depending on any one player like Kerry R and Clifford. And I think they're just slowly stead not slowly steadily, they're just they're just at the level that they need to be. And it was a case of job done. And and Porrick Joyce would have to be very, very happy. Like he's got you know, a really, really strong panel, really, really strong spine. And it, it's it's hard to pick 
too many holes in them, to be honest with you. Like, I've like, seen them in the flesh in the league this year against Monaghan, and I was very impressed with them, just their, their physicality. And again, that that sort of balance across defence, midfield. And, you know, the, it, I'm not saying it's it's an all-Ireland final and, and that Sam Maguire is theirs to lose, but I, I certainly have them up there now, at least in the top two teams in the in the country. And I say Saturday night was another was another shot in the arm for that. It, Tyrone, listen, it's it's case of as you have has have, have been with Tyrone, there's there's glimpses there of, of the talent that they have, but they're just sort of struggling for for any sort of consistency and, and discipline again, bow bad discipline reared his head again. And again it's probably frustration. They're probably frustrated they're all Ireland champions a couple of years ago and then their their, their stock has just plummeted. The players have lost form and they're just fighting and trying. You can you can hear it in in, in Fergal Logan's voice after the game. They're just sort of exasperated now at this stage. They just can't get anything going and it's 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 hard to make a case for them to to really feature um, later in the summer. Colin, from a Galway perspective, you know, their schedule throughout the year, they got to the league final, they didn't win it, but they still had to play that week. And I know they didn't have to go out the week after against uh, Roscommon like Mayo did, but then they did have to play Roscommon. They've won the Connor title. Now they're in fighting on the All-Ireland front. Like, you know, is that going to be, was it, could that tell in a negative sense towards the end of the year, like having to go for a few different competitions earlier on? Because you, you made the same point with Mayo and you said it could benefit them. Is the flip side potentially an issue for Galway later on? It may be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to preempt that. Will I'd like to just see how it plays out. My suspicion is it will catch teams. Some of these schedules is going to catch teams. It's you know these games are attritional. You pick up injuries, and there's a you know getting getting yourself ready to play a game, and then uh, you know you you're on to the next game straight away. You're not getting time to pause, and you know sometimes sometimes we forget that these are these are not professional players that hop on a plane and fly back to their base that night. They stay over. There's a lot of energy expended in a a, a trip and the, and just building yourself up for all of these games and then you're heading back to work during the week. So you know that the the number of games uh, in an against set against an amateur background that's that all that all plays into it. Having said that, I think Galway are very very comfortable and controlled in what they're doing in all their games. And again, I go back to the league and when you combine the league and the championship, their average concession is 13 points. Now that's where, that's the path that Kerry tracked through league and championship last year around the 13 point concession. And there's been good teams. They played good teams. Obviously that includes in championship, Roscommon, Tyrone and Sligo, they conceded 12, 12 and 13 points. And during the league, they, they've only conceded three goals, one against Roscommon, Armand, Donegal. So they've shut out a lot of good teams in this, in this league. They're very, very defensively solid. I think last Saturday they'll be very happy that Connor Gleeson, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the goalkeepers and Bernard Power, is he the better option? And does Connor Gleeson give you that solidity? I think if you're looking at last Saturday, he does. Um, and I think players like Paul Conroy, when you see that energy that he brought, and, you know, he's one of the longest serving players around, and yet he's still shown, bringing that leadership. They have so many leaders. Galway, Sean Kelly, Damian Comer, obviously Paul Conroy, and then you see Killian McDade is coming back, coming back into form, and you know you look at Carl Sweeney coming on and the impact he made. They've a, like Mayo, they're bringing a really deep squad to it to to all of these games. So long term, maybe they do have the squad to be able to cope with what's with what's ahead. But I think they're playing a little bit within themselves yet, and they're playing that control games a lot of lateral ball. They're quite happy to, they're quite happy. To, to play that way and they seem to be very comfortable with it and their their concession rate 
is so low that it looks like potential All Ireland finalists again or All Ireland All Ireland champions maybe this time they are at that level. Yeah, and and what I like about them, Colin, is yes they do play a wee bit more of a controlled game. Say by comparison to say say their neighbours Mayo, who are a wee bit more sort of ad hoc and off the front foot and otherwise a bit chaotic, and that's what Mayo need. They're very controlled, but but when they need to inject pace, I think they've got players there, the likes of, of Kelly and Daly in the back, that they can go hard and go fast. They sort of know when to, to sort of inject a wee bit of, of, of intensity and a wee, a wee bit of pace through the middle. Uh, Walsh, Comer, that bit of power, you know, where you see an awful lot of teams, they all just get, collectively, they get stuck into this very passive style of play. Galway, they might do it for a couple of minutes and then, they'll cut through and they're big players because they have that physicality and pace and athleticism. You've seen it as well with uh, McDade bursting through off the shoulder for a few points. Just that bit of power, very hard to mark. But again, you know, we talk about Kerry not really bringing much to the party compared to last year, whereas Galway, whilst they weren't new players, they were older players that had gone off the scene in terms of Cook, Annie and Burke. And they have just slipped in. There's two really good players. They're now starting the players that have added to the panel. Like they, that two two players, like they they were narrowly defeated All Ireland champions last year, and they've added two quality now starting players to that panel. That's a massive injection to any panel over a given year. It's not two young lads that are just sort of cutting their teeth. They're adding value straight away. Like Ian Brooks, a former All Star winner, and he has something a little bit different up front, a bit of creativity that complements the boys around them. So I just think they're. Again, bar disaster, I, I struggle to see um, you know anybody beating Galway unless they beat themselves. They just don't turn up or they get a, a raft of unlucky injuries because everything just seems. And I'm just looking at their their schedule here as well. They have a very favourable draw, I would say, in 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 the knockout stages. Like they have Armagh in the neutral venue. It's not a, it's not like they have to go up and 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 get into a sort of a very claustrophobic. Um, game in the athletic grounds and they're getting Arma after they have that type of a game in Oma against Tyrone. So things are just falling very, very nicely for uh, for um Porek Joyce to the point that the only thing he'd be worried about it's not it's not too easy for them because the next thing they're going to get probably is a is a big knockout game quarterfinal. And they don't want to be undercooked because that 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 Tyrone game should have been tougher for them than it probably was. And they could have it quite easy up until that quarterfinal point. That'd be the only fear I'd have for Galway. But you know, we're 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 picking holes in what is otherwise a very very you know formidable team at the minute. You mentioned you mentioned the changes Galway Galway have made. I think it was for the Russ Common game. Uh, I I think they had ten of the fifteen All Ireland final starters from last year. But you look at Mayo. The change in remarkable is remarkable for with Mayo from last year in that. There are only there was only six players that started the quarterfinal last year against Kerry started this this weekend again, so it just shows what Kevin McStay and Porrick Joyce the depth that they are bringing to their squad and the range that they're bringing and the choices that is now available to the choices that are available to both Mayo and Galway and it really puts them both in a strong position over the next few weeks. They have a lot of options, great range. 
And Colin, just on Tyrone, what's your assessment of where they are, they are in the All-Ireland race? I think they've lost their last four championship games, which is, you know, you'd associate that with maybe a Division 4 team, that sort of form line, not a team that were coming off at the time an All-Ireland uh, title win. Are, are they are they realistic contenders for you, or are they just kind of going to be maybe getting a win against Armagh? They might get to the quarterfinals, but that will probably be as far as they go. What's, what's, your, what's your take? Historically, there probably isn't another county that could lose three championship games and end up as All-Ireland finalists or All-Ireland champions. Uh, that's historically, they, they can come from nowhere to win an All-Ireland title. They, they showed that certainly in 2008 uh, when they came through the back door. But I don't think it's in this team. Uh, I think, so, again, we go back to this, some of the leading lights in 2021 who really hit heights that maybe a lot of us didn't think it was in them. They've dipped back since then. If you take the case of Player of the Year, then Kieran McGeary, he was very, very good that year. And he has struggled since. And even Connor Myler and Niall Sludden, players like that, they just aren't at the same pitch that they were. For sure, Derek Hanavan and Con Kilpatrick have, have come through stronger since then. But I think there's a bit of wear and tear in areas in Tyrone that they haven't been able to patch up or replace. Um, I just don't sense that they're as driven as, as they were and they just can't summon it. Um, I, I, obviously they have Armagh in the next round at home. That's a, that's a decent advantage to them. But Armagh are probably going to be coming in off the back of a win over Westmead. So that will pick them up from the Ulster final. And obviously that will dictate a lot of, of where these teams go. Yeah, Dick, what did you make of some of the decisions? You know, the, the red card for Tyrone, the, the black card for Noah Morgan. I know Fergal Logan didn't seem to be too happy after the game. Do you think they were the right calls? Uh, the red card was, you know, and, and and speaking as somebody who probably was guilty of a few of those types of challenges back in the day, but nowadays the, the lines have been fairly drawn now in terms of anything that's that's dangerous towards the head. You know, it, it, it's not, it, it shouldn't be really a decision for the referee and it was dangerous. There's an onus on the the... The, the the tackler, if you want to call it, to to you know to to behave in a way that's not dangerous to the opponent, and you couldn't make that argument for like he he went in very strong and it was high and he probably knew what he was doing and he knew the minute he hit him he just knew he knew the reaction there was no you know yes he was pleading for for leniency but he knew it was a bad tackle and and I don't think anyone could make a make a case for that and by all accounts Glenn had to be taken off and and you know we'll be feeling we bit. Bit bit worse for wear today, over the head of it. The black card was interesting. You know, we we haven't seen too many examples. This is this is Neil Morgan's black card until after he remonstrated for a for a bad tackle. A couple of things around that, right? I've I've been a long time, you know, hater on the black card for various reasons because of his inconsistency of application, and now here's another element been thrown in. Number one. The initial tackle by the Galway player, I, Colin will correct me. I just can't remember who did it. The, the bad tackle around the neck of a of a Tyrone player that got a yellow card, right? And this we see this all the time now. This this that you can actually pull a player by the neck or by the jersey and pull them down. Hundred percent cynical, but it's technically not a black card, and for some God knows reason that that's not a deemed a black card offence, right? So that that's one thing that is a complete anomaly in the black card that somebody needs to really tidy up very very quickly because it's a, it's 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 an awful um, example. Now, Neil Morgan's remonstrating with with um, David Goff got him a black card. Now that's technically and always has been from day one, not just with the referee but with opposing players, but it's never been enforced. I think that 
that'll not be the, the last time you see that this year. That's my sense on it. Just with all the issues with refereeing, and we've seen this in the past, Colin, that, that certain things are, you know, set as an agenda item for referees to focus on, and you see them focusing on it, that, that at some stage the culture has to change around referees and the way players and mentors and even the, the crowd speak to referees. And this is a tool in the referee's armory to counter that. End of story. And he says, if you want to speak to me like that, fine, you can go and sit in the stand and think about it for 10 minutes. And that's the card marked. So, you know, I was disappointed with, with Lee Keegan and, and, and Enda McGinn the, the other night when all they could sort of do was was compare, oh, but, but sure, we ha- this happens before and it was never done. That's, that's the, again, the, the old lazy excuse of getting the speed and taking out. But your man up the road was was flying. He didn't get caught. If, if it, it was it was a, a black card offence by the rules and it will be going forward. So players need to know now that there are lines you cannot cross. Yes, we all throw our hands up. Yes, we all have that instinctive reaction to a free given against us. But there's a line that you don't cross. And David Goff felt Neil Morgan crossed it. And players will probably need to be mindful of that going forward. And I think it is something we, we have to sort of commend because we, we do need a, a culture change around referees. And maybe that's the start of it. It'll be interesting to see. Do we see more? I don't know. What do you think, Colin? Uh, just one point is to deal with the the, uh, the pulling of the jersey first and how that, you know, the, the difference stick with the, you know, you pull a jersey and you stop somebody and it's only a tick. That's all it is. And yet the leap of, to a black card where you pull somebody down, they're still cynical, they're still still deliberate and they're still preventing play. So there's a huge gap in that rule there between a tick for a jersey pull and a black card for pulling someone down or for obstruction or, or whatever it is. So that, that, that does have to be addressed. And maybe it's time to make a jersey pull fully, not a second one, but to make a jersey pull, a deliberate jersey pull, part of the black card uh, rulings as well. On the issue of remonstrating aggressively with a referee, that's one of the five. That's one of the five fouls, shall we say, under black card as well. Rarely used, but of all the referees that I, I would say that would use them, David Goff would would apply that probably more rigorously than than any anybody else just as he is a stickler for the gum shields too. So some of those small print offences that people dismiss as not being very much, David Goff will always pursue them because they're in the rules and he will apply them in that way. And I, I think there is certainly something around players congregating around a referee or umpires when they're making the decision, going right into them, trying to influence them. I think maybe that should be part of it as well. It shouldn't be just just shouldn't be tolerated really. And a few years ago, I was at Congress and one of the clubs, I forget when it was, uh, wanted to bring in a rule whereby only the captains could speak to a referee. Uh, I thought it was a practical solution for maybe a bit of dialogue between players rather than have a crowd around if the captain wants to speak. It applies in rugby, obviously, but it barely got a hearing. It was barely discussed. It was dismissed. It was beaten in the vote. I think it's something that could be revisited to allow to allow for some line of communication rather than have a group of players or in the case of Niall Morgan coming up and shouting and whatever else. I don't know what was said, obviously, but it was obviously enough for David Goff to make to make that decision. And if there is a case for it, I think maybe, maybe Crook Park or the referee's body should communicate that from now on, we're drawing a line and anybody that comes up, we will be enforcing that rule as part of the black card as much as any of the others. Yeah, it's interesting. I was at the... The Ulster, which was probably the game of the weekend, the Ulster minor uh, semi-final on uh, Saturday evening, Monaghan beat Throne. And 
I'm, I'm sorry you can't remember the referee's name. I'm, I'm going to try and find it. Maybe you know off the top of your head, Cobb, you're better with names than me. But it was an exceptional referee in performance. And he got so many calls right. But even at that, he had to listen to crap from both sets of management teams. He actually went over and he had to book both mentors and send them off. And I, I couldn't have seen of how he could referee the game better. And yeah, he still had to do that. And again, I'd say he was basically just saying to himself, listen, lads, I'm not here to listen to this. And and you know the type, boy, just constantly on the line, every decision going at them. And I said, there has to come a time that that has to stop because it's just the norm. And we're trying to talk about it at underage level. I'm a coach at under 11s and you're trying to manage it. You know, you have to be able to see it at the senior games and the, and the, and the, the provincial games that you go to. And as, as, so I think you're going to probably see more of this. And referees just saying, sorry, no, lads, we're not, not, I can't get every call right, but I don't have to listen to abuse from, from you. And they're going to they're gonna have a step in. Niall Morgan suffered it. Um, and Tyrone ultimately suffered it at the weekend. And, and more teams are probably going to put it. And, and rightly so, because we all have to do better. Just as an aside there, I was at the Cork and Clare game yesterday. And now, according to my notes, there was one yellow card, Conor Cleary. Uh, I just haven't got them here. But from memory, there was one yellow card, Conor Cleary. But there was actually three yellow cards in the game because uh, a Mwere Ishka and a Hurley carrier were also booked. So if I'm not mistaken, there were more non-players booked in Ennis yesterday than there was actual players booked. So there is a little bit of lawlessness. I won't say lawlessness, that's not the right word, but you will get more, often get more activity and more indiscipline around the sidelines or people preparing to step over the line uh, with regard to rules and regulations, almost off the pitch these days than you than you're getting on it. Yeah, yeah. And one thing, it wasn't a black card offence, but I did think Niall Morgan was very fortunate not to get sanctioned for that high ball he caught and led with his foot. You know what I thought was a very dangerous manner, but he didn't get booked for that. And a minute later, got a black card for a different offence, which I thought was ironic. Maybe he dodged the bullet uh, in one sense, but then didn't get away with a, with another one. The, the other two games of the weekend, Dick, we had. Donegal beating Clare. It feels a long time ago now that Donegal was kind of the story of the GA season with, with how they were going, but obviously a great victory for them. And then Kildare Sligo yesterday, you know, we were talking about Kildare a lot in recent weeks after their performance against Dublin, coming up short, but giving a good account of themselves. And then, you know, drawing with Sligo yesterday would be very disappointing for Glen Ryan. Yeah, interesting that. And you're going to, you're going to have a few more games like that in, in, the, in the new competition structure that sort of, because there's so many games, it'll not get a whole pile of focus. The so next thing, the result will pop its head and be going, oh, right, good, Sligo. Because you remember the conversations a couple of weeks ago after you know Sligo took the hammer and, um, in Connacht, this is what, what business are they going into uh, into uh, uh, you know an All-Ireland series? And I think, if, if I'm right, I'm on record saying they'll compete okay. I, I saw enough in that uh, performance in the Connacht final that, that 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 they should be able to compete okay and they will trouble some teams and, and they've done that they competed against Kildare who we know how many times we said it now you just don't know what you're going to get with Kildare after all the sort of optimism they might have brought from that Dublin game the way they sort of could have beat Dublin to go on up there I say Glenn Ryan just doesn't know where to look at this stage he just, it just it, it, at this stage he may have quit training just just bring the boys up and, and see what you're going to get with them. Let them off the bus and, and pick 15 because for all the preparation and training that's going into their teams, you just don't know what you're going to get from them when you put them out on the pitch. And and this weekend, there's no difference. So I think for, for the, the argument for the those maybe 
three or four teams that will find themselves every year getting into the, the top 16 competition that they've no business been there. I think that's a shot in the arm for that. I says they can't compete. Now they could probably take a, a lick in another game, but, but so be it. That happens in every competition. So that was good for Sligo. It was good for the competition. You'd be a bit worried though, like there's a was a two and a half thousand people at that game. Um Kildare generally support their teams well. You'd like to think Jesus Lego, after all the you know, the good the good vibes coming from the underage teams, is a wee bit more there in Sligo football to go out and support their senior players in their home game. But maybe listen, you can't force people to go and watch games. There's a lot of stuff going on at the weekend and other sports, but you know you don't want to see these low attendances now at these games either. Yes, there's a big crowd in in Killarney for Mayo and Kerry. You'd like to see a bit of travel and support for for the for for the, for, for these games as well. So again, it was great for great for Sligo. That'll that'll be that'll be enough. That'll be enough for them in this series that they went up, they competed, and they didn't just get three heavy defeats. Kildare. I don't know where did, where did they go after this. They still could find themselves getting through the group. They could still put up a decent showing against the knockout team. But hey, you'd be a good man to put any good money on them. I suppose on the point of the Sligo crowd, they've had they've had eight eight league games, obviously with the final. Uh, they had three in the Connacht Championship. They've had another one now uh, against Kildare, and they had five, which are big games at under twenty level That's against true. Roscommon, Mayo, Galway, Kerry. And an All Ireland final against Kildare. Sligo is a small county; it's a lot of expense. And I just wonder, you know, you're, and obviously the one is supported two competitions there, under twenty and senior, supported by Connacht Council. The other are supported by Central Council. Um, maybe it's starting. Maybe it's time to think about. Obviously, obviously, there's a season ticket there, but to expand it, uh, to expand it into uh, in, into these qualifier games because there are there are so many and reward loyalty with a with a cheaper with a cheaper price for some of these games to make it more more accessible so that crowds will get out i'd say maybe more disappointing is the fact that the kildare support was uh, was down but they too have had an extensive under 20 campaign that brought them to the final so if you're a kildare supporter a loyal kildare supporter or sligo there's been a lot of activity in recent times or maybe it's the fact that well there isn't much jeopardy here, so we'll sit it out and we'll wait for the Dublin game or we will wait for the Roscommon game at a neutral venue. There may have been a bit of that for, for Kildare, but yeah, a disappointing crowd. And Kerry Mayo was down around eight or 9,000 from where it was. Now, obviously, a Saturday afternoon, but it's, it's, it's one to watch. And yet, Central Council approved a set of figures for the league over the weekend, record revenues, attendances and revenues were up. My understanding is they're up to around 7 million from 5.6 five or something like that so that's a huge a huge leap for for the league so obviously it takes a bit of analysis to see where all of this is going to be able to derive well what's the best packages and what are the best formats for crowds yeah yeah, yeah. no agreed just before we finish up Dick a quick look to, to next weekend you know the other set of teams entering the All-Ireland Round Robin series you have Dublin Roscommon Armagh Westmead Louth Cork Derry Monaghan you know various degrees of you know bigger matches and, and some of the smaller ones what, what's jumping out to you I'm, I'm sure the Monaghan game obviously but uh, you know, what are your thoughts ahead of next weekend yeah we're talking about Saturday afternoon so some, some somebody's wisdom to fix the Dublin or the Monaghan Derry game for 7 o'clock in Derry City so yeah so <laughs> it'll be 1 o'clock in the morning before I get home next weekend so I don't know if that's going to Help the crowd um, in Celtic Park. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. I think we're we're Bonham people were very sort of despondent after the the Ulster semi final really didn't perform and and, and Derry looks streets ahead now with everything that's going on in Derry over the last couple of weeks. The tough game against Armagh 
will they be a wee bit more vulnerable or will they be looking to bounce back um, and really sort of not bounce back, but really sort of try and further all of that controversy behind them. You know, they were obviously delighted to get the Ulster final win and they want to kick on. But at the same time, they were, they were in terms of an All-Ireland team, you know, at that conversation, they didn't look like that in the Ulster final against Armagh compared to what else we're looking. So, so Derry, you know, if they have it in the legs and and the energy still in the panel, all things considered, they might be looking to to sort of kick on now and 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 sort of put Ulster put all the the Rory Gallagher controversy behind them and kick on. And and Monaghan, you know, will need to bring an awful lot more than they did the last day and to not get a similar, you know. Trouncing basically is what they got in Oma. So I ho- I'm hoping from a Monaghan point of view that they can bring more and um, to compete more. It'd be a tough ass to get them at, get anything out of that game. But um, here's hoping. Dublin Roscommon, I think, you know, Roscommon over the last sort of half a dozen years, Colin, if may, you might agree with me, for all their huffing and puffing and they got an odd Connacht title and they come up and down. And every so often when they got an opportunity to put it up to a big team at sort of quarter final stage they, they just fell back or the or super eights they never really were able to push on you know they have an opportunity now before that sort of group of players get a wee bit too far gone to really you know take a big scalp and where Dublin are at I think the Louth game I, I don't think they're as good as that I don't think Louth equally are as bad as that but let's that's not put too much in us. I think there's an opportunity for Roscommon to take a take a scalp there. You know, like they, they put in a, a credible division one campaign. You know, they got to, you know, Connacht final. They should be going up saying, you know, we, we, we can take we can take a Dublin scalp here. Like put it this if there's double digits between Roscommon and Dublin there, you know, Roscommon have no excuses for that. You know, they, they should be better than that. That this should be a competitive game, all things been equal. Although we've got Dublin completely wrong and they're far further down the tracks than we've actually seen, but I don't think they are. So I'd be really interested to see where that is in terms of a benchmark for Dublin and equally Roscommon. Are they really a serious team now um, for all they've done and talked about in both uh, Division 1 and, and the province today? So I'd be really interested to see how that game goes. Yeah, Colin, I'll give you the last word. Then. Anything about next weekend, like from what Dick said or your own thoughts that's kind of jumping out to you? What I said about Mayo earlier and what I've maintained about Mayo is that the pause away from away from games will serve them well. And I think it will it'll certainly blunt Derry in some way, coming down from the high of a penalties win against uh against our man, the Ulster final, and with everything that's been going on. You know, it just and with the constantly getting up for these games, I think it will catch them somewhere. I think it will certainly bring this game a lot closer than what the Ulster semi-final was. I'd have no doubt about that, that the scoreline will be a lot less. The thing about Derry is, and I, I said it about Galway, they have a lot of leaders, and you could see that in the Ulster final. I mean, Conor Glass especially, but also Brendan Rogers and obviously Chrissy McCabe. They have a lot of big figures who will be able to carry the team over what they have experienced in the build-up and obviously in the aftermath of the Ulster final. And I think that leadership is set in stone, which will be able to help them over those bumps. But I do think Monaghan will be a lot closer. I think there's an imperative on Roscommon to go and perform against Dublin because as Dick referenced, they've had a bad record against uh, against Dublin in the Super 8s in there and in the league game that they played a few years back as well in Croke Park. It hasn't it hasn't gone well for them. Obviously, they beat Mayo, but then lost to then lost to Galway. And I feel they were a bit off on that, even though they led early on and they did put it up to Galway. So there is an imperative in Croke Park for Roscommon to compete and make themselves hard, hard, harder to beat 
than they have been in those games. Now, a lot of the players who are playing this weekend were involved in those games too. That's a very experienced Roscommon team and some of the players been in the Dailies and the Smiths uh, and the Murthas. They've been around a long time. They're, they're not an up-and-coming team. They're a team that is there and it really is time to step up for them and to make it as competitive as possible. I do think Dublin are a bit ahead of Roscommon, obviously a good bit ahead, uh, but this is about Roscommon competing and competing hard. I think the longer the season goes on, I do think Dublin are going to improve, but... Well, it's set up to be an exciting weekend. Next weekend for the moment, I'd like to thank Dick and Colin for joining me on this week's episode of the Throw and Football Podcast. We'll be back next week with another show looking back on all the action. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.